Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Welcome in. Another week. Episode 538 of the podcast. It is Swooping America, the Antwerp Sports Podcast. It is Friday, May 27th. 2022 people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody's having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for a fun-filled Friday edition. That's right, the Triple F edition of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, Here's what's going on. First of all, it is a holiday weekend. Appreciate you making the Aaron Torres Pod a part of your weekend heading into Memorial Day. Hope, of course, you are going to spend quality time with family, with friends, good food, Good uh, beach time, good pool time, whatever you do on the on, on the Memorial Day weekend, hope everybody relaxes a little bit. And again, thank you for making the Aaron Torres pod a part of your weekend. Here is today's uh, the rundown for today's show. So we are going to start with the college basketball transfer portal. The transfer portal, it's not officially closed, but it's basically closed as there's really only about two, three difference makers left in the portal. And so because of that, it feels like a good time to kind of reconvene, sit back and look at who were the winners of this spring's college basketball transfer portal. Who are the teams that got players, difference makers, whether it's a new coach, a rebuilding coach, a, a, a school that was really successful that just kind of revamped through the portal. We're going to get to all of the winners from this spring, what it will mean for college basketball next year. On top of that, we will wrap with where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. A little bit of a quicker Friday show. Like I said last week, it's a little bit of a quieter time of year. So we will get in, get out with a quicker episode today. But we'll have a good time. We'll, hand, we'll send you to the holiday weekend in style. Uh, before we get to the show, though, a couple quick announcements. You know, First of all, I do want to say next week, because of the holiday, a little bit of a different taping schedule. My guess is we will do two shows. There will be no episode on Monday. Unless, I always say it, unless something crazy happens. Listen, if, <laughs> if John Calipari gets hired by the Lakers, or if Coach K comes out of retirement, or if Nick Saban takes a swing at Jimbo Fisher at some point, we will do a show on Monday. But for the most part, t- next week will probably be a two-episode kind of week. We'll probably do like a Wednesday and Friday. Of course, next week will be a big week for college basketball on top of all the portal stuff that I'm going to talk about today. Next uh, Tuesday, I guess it would be, it will, it'd be min- it's midnight on June 1 is the deadline for players to withdraw from the NBA draft. So there are still a few players as I record here on Thursday night that are still testing the waters. 
Drew Timmy from Gonzaga, Jalen Wilson from Kansas, Dalen Terry from Arizona. Um, so we will do a big recap when that becomes official. So two episodes next week. Keep an eye on that. And the only other thing I would say is as we hit June, it's going to be a little bit of a quieter time in sports, especially the college sports that we cover. And so I, I am going to try to get on a few kind of big guests and you know some of the guests that we have on at various times a year. If you have anybody that you want on this show, let me know. Uh, unofficially, it looks like Sean Miller will make a return to this show. Now the head coach, Xavier, excited to talk to Coach Miller. I think we're in pretty good shape with Bruce Pearl. Uh, obviously, we're always going to be efforting Eric Musselman as he has an incredible team coming in next season. But if there's anybody else that you guys and girls want to see or hear from, always let me know. I will do my best. Obviously, if it's the college basketball, college football space, that is the way to go. So let me know who I can get. Oh, Dan Hurley, always efforting Dan Hurley. We will get him on this show at some point. Point I'm trying to make, if there's anybody you want on this show, just let me know. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day to me, like I said, there's no obvious like we have to lead with this. This story shook up the world. Like Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban last week. There's really nothing like I got to talk about. And so what I thought I would do today is something fun, something different. And that is really go ahead and pick out the winners of college basketball's transfer portal. The question, why am I doing it today? Well, it's because basically the portal, as I just said a minute ago, is unofficially closed. There are still two to three difference makers that are in the portal as I record here, but for the most part, the really good players have entered the portal, committed to their school, and are actually, in many cases, many of them are getting set to enroll as early as next week, if not in early June for spring, spring practice and, and the things that go on during the spring semester, summer school, all that kind of stuff. And so I bring it up because, honestly, we're at the point where there really isn't that much left to talk about with the college basketball transfer portal, but it is a good time to reflect, pick winners, and tell you about the schools that had the most success this spring and also the schools that had the success, but what it will mean for college basketball next year. A couple notes before we get started. One, it did feel like there wasn't as much just absolute insanity in the portal as there was last year. Last year, if you remember, Texas signed, I think, five or six guys. Kentucky signed four or five guys. You had Kofi Coburn, Marcus Carr entering the portal in June and July. Uh, this year, because the deadline to enter was May 1st, it was a little bit less hectic, and picking winners wasn't quite as easy or obvious as last year. But nonetheless, there were still a couple teams, a couple programs that I thought really, really kind of shook up and fixed a lot of the problems that they had. On top of that, what I would also say is before we get to the winners, I do want to set the criteria here. And really the only criteria is this. You had to sign multiple guys because I do think there's some schools that had like an individual hole to fill, but it feels weird if you only sign one guy to call them a winner, right? Like Kentucky needed a slasher and scorer. They got Antonio Reeves from Illinois State. Are they a winner? I don't know. They got a player they need. I don't know if they're a winner. Same with Gonzaga and Efton Reed. Same with Creighton and Baylor Shireman. Same with Kansas and Kevin McCuller. And so I just bring it up because I'm kind of focusing on schools that signed two, three, four guys. As you'll see in a minute, some of these, these schools needed all these guys. Some of them didn't. But with that said, let's get to the winners of this year's college basketball transfer portal. First off, the number one winner is the guy that is seemingly a winner in the portal every year, and that is Eric Musselman in Nevada. This is a guy that has killed it in the portal since he got to college basketball. It's funny, I was watching the Miami Heat on, I guess it would have been Wednesday night. Cody Martin, who played for him at Nevada, is playing for the Miami Heat. 
obviously a couple other really successful transfer stories through the years at, at Arkansas since he's gotten there. But obviously, it also is important to note that next year, it's going to be a little bit different because they have that super marquee number two ranked recruiting class coming to Arkansas. Six top 100 players, three McDonald's All-Americans. So they could be a little bit more picky in the portal. But make no mistake, Eric Musselman went into the portal and got the guys that he wants. And really, as I look back on what Arkansas did, that is what continues to impress me about Coach Muss. He knows what he wants and he goes and gets it. It was amazing to watch. Uh, how quickly and how aggressive he was when he saw guys that he wanted. I looked it up. They had four transfers committed this spring by April 7th. That doesn't feel like it's that early, but here's the deal. The national championship game between Carolina and Kansas was on April 4th. By the end of that week, Arkansas had four different transfers committed, and here are the guys that they have coming in and the impact that they could have next year. The first guy was actually, in many ways, maybe the most interesting, Trevon Brazil, seven points per game at Missouri. Missouri, excuse me, doesn't sound as though that's a crazy productive freshman season, but this was a guy that was really under-recruited, really developed late, really came on strong as a freshman this past season, 15 points in an SEC tournament loss, and when he entered the portal, he had a lot of schools really interested. I know Kentucky was interested, he committed to Arkansas, and this is a guy that if you talk to NBA people, they say, look, he ain't there yet, he might not be there next year, but if all goes well, that guy could play in our league, big, athletic, skilled, all that good stuff, so Trevon Brazil was the first guy they got. Then Jalen Graham, all Pac-12 forward from Arizona State, really good from about 15 feet in, really like what he's all about. And finally, I've talked, well, not finally, but then they went out and got these two kids, Mikel and Makai Mitchell, who played at Rhode Island. Why are they important to me? I've said it before. Eric Musselman is a guy that if he gets, if there's something that his team is lacking coming out of a season, he will immediately attack it in the portal or in the offseason. Last year, they probably, Arkansas, did not have the rim protection that they needed. That got exposed. It really didn't get exposed until the, the Elite Eight where they played Duke and lost to Duke, uh, you know, in large part because of the success of Mark Williams. What does Eric Musselman do? He goes out and signs the Mitchell Twins who played at the University of Rhode Island. Uh, two guys that really, uh, you know, really played very well last season. It's interesting because we got twins, but they kind of do different things. You know, they each have their own strengths and weaknesses. Mikel Mitchell was the better offensive player, 11.6 rebounds per game, two and a half blocks as well. Makai Mitchell, nine, nine and a half points, seven and a half rebounds. So he's more of the energy hustle guy. The other one is the rebounder. And so I think Arkansas really beefed up its front court to go along with the talented backcourt players that they're bringing in via the high school ranks. Also worth noting, Arkansas did wrap the portal season about a week or so ago. I think it was two weeks, actually, at this point. Ricky Council, kind of a guard-forward hybrid kid who played at Wichita State, 12.5 points per game. This is another guy. I'm just telling you, I've talked to NBA people that are like, this dude can play in our league. Super athletic, super skilled, and I think it speaks to who Arkansas is going to be next year. I think they're the deepest team in college basketball. I think you can argue just in terms of future NBA prospects, they may be the most talented. Now, some of their high school players are one-and-done kids. Some of these transfers are probably two-, three-year players, but they got a lot of guys with NBA upside. So Arkansas, to me, is the obvious, clear, definitive 
no doubt about it, winner of the college basketball transfer portal. Five players signed, four by April 7th, including an all-Pac-12 forward and Jalen Graham, uh, and uh, two guys that I think have NBA futures for sure, Trevon Brazil from Missouri, uh, Ricky Council from Wichita State, and then the Mitchell Twins who are going to provide that size and rim protection down low. Kind of worth noting, by the way, one thing with Arkansas before we move on to the, to the other teams. I do think it's important to note that, that with all of these guys, they are at their 13-man scholarship limit because of it. Jalen Williams, who obviously was a great player on their back-to-back Elite Eight teams, feels as though he is probably going to stay in the draft, even though as I record, nothing is official yet. Let's keep going. The winners of the college basketball transfer portal. Number two, how about my UConn Huskies? And UConn had a very interesting spring if you follow this, and obviously me being an alum, I follow it a little bit closer than most, but UConn at the end of the season, they were expecting a guy or two to enter the transfer portal. There was a kid named Rashul Diggins, kind of a four-star kid who didn't really work out as a freshman. The assumption was he might leave. There was this kid, Jalen Gaffney, a backup point guard. The assumption was he might leave. There was even a kid, a cook, a cook, big forward, stretch kid, can shoot threes, but has struggled with injuries, unfortunately tore his Achilles two seasons ago, and was never really the same player ever since. So three players enter the portal, and everything's kind of like, okay, we didn't want to see him go, but we kind of had to let him go, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then, out of nowhere, UConn had a kid named Corey Floyd enter the portal that basically sent the, the program and the fans into a state of shock. Because this was a kid, it was almost like a Shaden Sharp deal at UConn. He reclassified to UConn, came there to redshirt, and then after his redshirt season announces that he is going to leave. Uh, Dan Hurley, uh, don't, uh, I don't know Dan Hurley at all, but uh, he made some comments that seemed kind of thinly veiled at Corey Floyd, but four guys leave and UConn fans are like, what is going on? Are we in trouble? Should we be worried? Is there something we don't know about? But here's the thing. UConn went into the portal and replaced those guys with better players. First of all, a guy that I've talked about quite a bit on this pod, uh, Tristan Newton. He is a kid who played the last three years at East Carolina. If you remember, UConn three seasons ago played in the same conference as East Carolina, and this kid blew up against UConn, 17 points, five rebounds, five assists per game. And listen, I don't claim to be an expert on East Carolina basketball, but Dan Hurley has hinted in his press conferences that he believes that this kid, he's about six foot six, he's a lead guard, is good enough to play in the NBA. Dan Hurley knows NBA talent. He developed James Booknight. It looks as though Tyrese Martin is going to be an NBA draft pick potentially this year. So if Dan Hurley says this kid is going to play in the NBA, I trust Dan Hurley's judgment. On top of Tristan Newton, they went out and got the Huskies now, went out and got Naheem Aline, a kind of a stretch player, a three-point shooter from Virginia Tech. Remember, Virginia Tech, of course, won the ACC tournament, went to the NCAA tournament, and this kid was just an elite three-point shooter for them, about 38-39% from three, 10 points per game. And then they wrapped up the portal, although they haven't technically wrapped up, but wrapped up the portal, Hassan Diara, who was playing at Texas A&M. He was from Brooklyn originally. He decides to transfer closer to home. Uh, you know, I talked to my Aggie people over the last couple weeks. Buzz Williams knew about it. Buzz Williams supported it, obviously wanted him, but wanted him to get closer to home. And what's interesting about this kid, he was a backup at A&M. He seems to accept, listen, I might not be starting right away. I want to help this team win however I can. So UConn, Loses three guards to the portal. The fan base is freaking out. And they got basically, I'm not even kidding, three players that are unquestionably better than them. 
two who were major contributors on Power 5, Power 6 conference teams that won last year, the third guy and all-AAC guy at East Carolina. Credit Dan Hurley. He really revamped the backcourt. I really like UConn going into next year. Also worth noting, Dan Hurley said, look, if the right kid comes along, we're not necessarily done recruiting for the 2022-2023 roster. I don't know if that's a reclassification kid or if that's somebody in the portal that we might not know about. Next up, let me give a shout out. And we'll talk about them a little bit and where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. But let's give a quick shout out to my main man, friend of the Aaron Torres pod, Matt McMahon, the new head coach at LSU. And we'll talk about it again in where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. But I was a little critical of this guy when he got there. I, you know, I talked a little bit about the, the staff and should they have done this and should they have done that? Because if you remember, when Matt McMahon got to LSU, the entire team entered the transfer portal. So they had two guys declare for the draft, uh, Tari Eason and Darius Days, and then 11 players in the portal. And I said, is there a way they could have avoided it? Could they have kept somebody on staff? Should they have done something to keep this core that Will Wade left him more together? Well, Matt McMahon, I was a little worried about, and guess what happened? LSU now has 13 scholarship players. They've replaced all 13 guys, essentially, that were on LSU's roster last year, and they did the, a vast majority of this through the transfer portal. Now, I can't say they have fully replaced all 13 guys because to Matt McMahon and his staff's credit, three guys returned off last year's LSU team. They all entered the portal, but three decided to come back. Mawani Wilkinson, who's a really good role player, also, Justice Williams didn't get a ton of run last year, but it's kind of a top 50 recruit that has really high upside, and I know Will Wade and his staff were excited about for the future. Matt McMahon gets to try to develop him there. Then there's Adam Miller. I think it's easy to forget about Adam Miller, but he's kind of a former top 30 or so recruit, played his freshman year at Illinois, was a big part of that Illinois team that went into the NCAA tournament two years ago as a number one seed. Many thought they were good enough to win the national championship. He transferred to LSU last year, got hurt, did not play, decides to come back to LSU. And I've heard Matt McMahon say, I like this kid. I like his attitude. I like his work ethic. I'm really excited to coach this kid. Beyond just those three that came back from LSU, it's important to note, Matt McMahon also got three guys off of his Murray State team, which won 31 games last year. So if you remember, Matt McMahon was the head coach at Murray State. He decides to come to LSU, and three of his best players are coming with him. The most important one, in my opinion, K.J. Williams, who was the Ohio Valley Player of the Year. Really interesting story there. He entered the NBA draft, did not get the feedback he wanted, now he's coming to Baton Rouge where I think this is a kid that could potentially be, I just think he'll be a really good player in the SEC. I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to be all conference, all this, all that, but 6'10", super athletic, big, strong, physical, can rebound. Uh, also, Trey Hannibal and then Justice Hill both came from Murray State as well, and I think that's really important for Matt McMahon because I do think it is going to help him set the tone and the culture of the program that he is trying to establish at LSU. So three players return from LSU, three players from Murray State, and then he also grabbed a bunch from the portal. Uh, on top of all the guys that I already mentioned, Cam Hayes, a really nice guard from NC State, Kendall Coleman, big guy who played at Northwestern State, Derek Fountain, who played at Mississippi State, credit Matt McMahon. There was at one point in the summer, he had zero scholarship players at LSU. All 13 scholarships are filled via the transfer portal, via players that are coming with him from Murray State, returnees, a high school player or two. But I'll tell you this, if LSU is actually eligible for the tournament next year, I think this could be a fringe tournament team. 
credit Matt McMahon. All right, let's keep going, and let's get back to the Big East. Just mentioned UConn a minute ago. Uh, another school that did really well, and I think they're kind of an interesting story about just kind of the, 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 the where we are in the world of college basketball is Providence College. And why they're interesting is because, one, they crushed in the portal, which I'll get into in a second. But, two, I also just think it's so fascinating how the entire perception of a program, a team, a coach can change in the modern world of college basketball. I mean, just think about it, right? Just think about Ed Cooley, where we were a year ago with Ed Cooley and Providence. If we're being honest, you probably didn't have any strong opinions about him, right? Providence is good. Providence is fine. They make the tournament most year. They don't most years. They don't really advance very far. Just a nice little program that does their thing in college basketball. I can't think of an exact analogy to them, but they're like, uh, you know, uh, I'm just trying to think. They're like Iowa basketball. They have a good regular season. They go to the tournament. They do don't do much there. So why do I bring it up? It's because Ed Cooley, obviously, Providence had a ton of success this year. They were the Big East regular season champs for the first time in school history. They go to the Sweet 16, and all of a sudden, everything there changed. First of all, Ed Cooley, deservedly so, gets a big raise. He was pursued at least loosely by Maryland, at least loosely by Louisville. Because of it, he gets a long-term extension, a lot of money to stay at Providence because it's a private school. We don't have the exact dollar figures. But Ed Cooley ain't scraping pennies together from between the couch cushions to, uh, to go out for a burger on a Friday night. Beyond that, though, you saw in the portal what impact this particular season had. In total, Providence, if you remember last year, actually, their top six scorers were all seniors, so they had a lot of holes to fill. They go out and get five players that I believe are really, really good through the transfer portal. First of all, I mentioned a minute ago, Corey Floyd, the guard from UConn, was a former top 100 or so recruit, redshirted this past year. He ends up at Providence, another freshman, by the way, uh, that was really highly recruited, didn't play a ton. This is where Bryce, Bryce Hopkins from Kentucky ended up. Kentucky fans know who I'm talking about. This kid was former top 30 or so recruit. Had a couple really good games, including one late against LSU. Kentucky fans were mad John Calipari didn't play him more. But at the end of the day, he decides to leave. He ends up at Providence. Also, Anthony Carter, all-SEC freshman guard at South Carolina. Clifton Moore, a big guy who began his career at Indiana, then went to LaSalle and was very productive over the last couple years. He goes to Providence too. And then finally, the guy that I think is going to be the biggest difference maker next year, Noah Locke, who played last season at Louisville, before that at Florida. Uh, if you know much about Noah Locke, really good three-point shooter, a guy that was really productive for about two, three years at Florida, goes to Louisville last year, struggled a little bit at Louisville last year, but let's be honest, Louisville was a complete dumpster fire. I can forgive him for not being awesome when your coach starts the season suspended, he comes back, then he resigns. It was a total chaotic scene at, at Louisville. Noah Locke coming in, he will provide plenty of three-point shooting. Finally, what I would say on Providence, which is really interesting before we get to the rest of these teams, what I think is really interesting is they also show you the new way that the portal is being used. And what I mean by that is that I do think when we talk portal, I do think when we think portal, we think of the portal as this place where you go out and get instant impact guys that can come in and have an immediate impact and help you in right now. And that's certainly what Providence did. That's certainly what UConn did. That's certainly what uh, LSU did. All these teams that I'm talking about, Arkansas as well. But what is also interesting about the portal is that you can rebuild and you can stretch things out as far as getting players that can help you right away and then also players that might not be great in year one, but in year two, three, four can develop into real impact players for you. A lot of you have asked me, you know, to go back to the Arkansas thing for a minute. 
A lot of you have asked me why they take so many front court guys. Well, I don't think they want all five of them to start in the front court this year or all four of them to start in the front court this year. But a kid like Trevon Brazil is going to be a two, three-year player that by year two, year three could be an all-SEC guy the way that J.D. Note was this year. Same with Ricky Council. And now to go back to Providence, it's kind of the same thing. They got a couple guys that are going to come in, instant impact, Clifton Moore, Noah Locke have one year of eligibility left, going to come in, play hard, try to improve their professional options, and get out. But Providence also has two, three guys that just finished their freshman seasons that are going to be there for two, three, four years. So it's an interesting thought, uh, you know, kind of thought experiment, but also worth noting because Providence was a winner in the portal, but a lot of these guys are going to be two, three-year players for them and could have major impact for years down the road. Speaking of years, <laughs> let me get to a guy that I was pretty critical of. I mentioned Matt McMahon. I was a little bit critical of the LSU deal. Another guy that I was really critical of when he was hired was the Florida head coach, Todd Golden. And if you remember at the time, my criticism was pretty straightforward. Uh, for people who don't remember, Todd Golden, 36-year-old analytics guy, was the head coach at San Francisco, helped San Francisco make their first NCAA tournament in forever. He gets hired at Florida, and I said, look, I'm not saying he can't win at Florida. I'm just saying 36-year-old analytics guru does not strike me as the guy that you hire when you're competing against Bruce Pearl and John Calipari and Rick Barnes and Eric Musselman and Nate Oates and, and all these guys. And so I was kind of critical. I said, is he going to be able to get the – analytics don't matter if you don't have players that can make an impact. Well, credit Todd Golden, uh, you know, because he has delivered. As a matter of fact, I think I said it on a previous show, but I joke with my buddy Zach Kroll, who writes for Aaron Torres Online. You know, everybody was calling him a boy genius before. I wasn't sold. Now I'm all in on Todd Golden, the Florida coach, being a boy genius. I'm basically calling him young Sheldon boy genius from now on because they crushed it in the portal. Three impact players, three guys that I think are going to be really good in the SEC. First of all, Will Richard, really interesting story. Kind of a six foot five, six foot six wing type kid. Played at Belmont, averaged 12 points per game. He's another one. You talk to NBA people, they say, look, one, I don't know how he ended up at Belmont. But two, give this guy a year or two. He could be a potential NBA player down the road. He transfers up, probably won't be a star right away. But in year two, year three, you could be talking about an all SEC player that really impacts games on both ends of the court. Speaking of instant impact, Alex Fudge from LSU, the second guy that they got, just all I'm going to say is just go watch his highlight tape. He has one of the most incredible highlight tapes I've ever seen coming out of high school. Again, another guy that I've talked to NBA scouts about. It's like if this guy clicks, he is going to be a star. He came from LSU, had a kind of a quiet freshman year, but that's not to say that he can't be successful. There was just a lot of really good players at LSU. Finally, the third guy. Uh, Kyle Lofton from St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure was a team that two years ago made the NCAA tournament. Didn't have as much success this year for whatever reason. But Kyle Lofton is just kind of one of these veteran do-it-all guards. And I just love the way he plays. 13 points per game this year, 6 assists per game. And I think when you're Todd Golden and you're starting out from scratch at a place like Florida that has a history of success but I think has really struggled the last couple of years. They missed the tournament this past year. You got to get kind of culture guys. You got to get guys that are just going to come in, know their role, veteran, do their parts. Kyle Lofton, the guard from St. Bonaventure, I believe is that guy. So three guys at Florida for the new head coach, Todd Golden, who I really like a lot. Kyle Lofton, uh, Alex Fudge, Will Richard, also worth noting from Florida's perspective, Colin Castleton, their star center is coming back. I'm just telling you, that's another team. 
I think they're right there on the cusp of a potential NCAA tournament team. Let's keep this party going. First ACC team, and maybe the most notable team in the transfer portal this year, I got to go down to take my talents to South Beach, baby. How about the University of Miami? The fighting John Ruizes. We don't know about all their, their transfer portal commits, but we know that Nigel Pack was very well compensated to commit to Miami. But let's also call a spade a spade. He was well compensated because he was a really good college basketball player last year. So Miami signs two guys. The most notable one was Nigel Pack, the guy that broke the internet because John Ruiz said, we're paying him 400000 a year for the next two years to be a Miami Hurricane and represent my company. Like I said, though, there's a reason he's getting paid because he was really good at Kansas State. 17.5 points per game, 43.5% three-point shooter. Now, what I will say is, look, I think Nigel Pack's a good player. I don't think he's elite. I don't think he's game-changing. I think he put up a lot of stats on a really bad team. But at the same time, Miami's coming off an Elite Eight appearance. They have some really talented players coming back. You had a 17-point-per-game score in the Big 12. That is nothing but good news for Miami. On top of that, they, they got another guy that a lot of people really wanted, Norchad O'Meara, who played at Arkansas State. 18 points per game, 12.5 rebounds per game, was the uh, Sun Belt Player of the Year. Yet another player talk to NBA people. He's not going to be a superstar for Miami, but he is a guy that can come in, play a role, has the size, athleticism, skill to potentially be an NBA player. 6'7", 6'8", player. Really cool story. He's actually from Nicaragua. I believe he's the first ever Nicaraguan player to play major college basketball. He is going to Miami. My assumption is he got a pretty sweet NIL deal as well, but listen, the fighting Miami Hurricanes, the fighting John Ruiz's two really good players in Norchad O'Meara and also Nigel Pack. I'll try to be quick on these last few. One, I want to give a shout out to a guy that, that I think a lot of us have been critical of through the years. That's Georgetown and Patrick Ewing. If you remember, Georgetown went winless in the Big East this past year. This after winning the Big East tournament two seasons ago and making the NCAA tournament. The assumption all along was that Georgetown was going to fire Patrick Ewing. Instead, they do the opposite. They said, look, we're going to give you another year, mainly because he signed a massive extension after that NCAA tournament run. But what we're going to do, you're going to shake up the staff. You're going to go get some guys that can help you bring in recruits. Well, what happens, he goes out, gets Kevin Nickelberry from LSU. Kevin Nickelberry helps bring Brandon Murray, who I think is an all-Big East-type player next season, played last season at LSU. If you've noticed, a lot of these former LSU players are popping up on this list. But Brandon Murray is coming 10 points per game as a freshman at LSU. Real instant impact player. Is from Baltimore. think he's going to be really good at Georgetown next year. Also, just a really interesting story. Kudus Wahab. Kudus Wahab was basically the star player of Georgetown's NCAA tournament team two years ago. He enters the portal after last year, goes to Maryland, decides to come back to Georgetown this offseason. Now, obviously, he's going to need a waiver, but I think he'll get it. But all of a sudden, you add a guy that averaged 13 and 10 or whatever his final year at Georgetown back to this team, I'll tell you, Georgetown's one of those teams. They're not, I don't think, an NCAA tournament team on paper, but they are going to make things tough for teams in the Big East. One thing that I think is worth noting at this time in May, as we start to look ahead to next year, the Big East is going to be really, really, really tough. Villanova's going to be good. UConn's going to be good. Three new head coaches who I think are going to have a major impact, Sean Miller at Xavier, Thad Mata at Butler, Shaheen Holloway at Seton Hall. A lot of talent in that league. St. John's, it's worth noting, added some nice pieces in the portal, Andre Carbello, et cetera. But Georgetown is another one I want to acknowledge. I'll quickly go through the rest of these teams. 
Uh, Baylor signed two players. One is Jalen Bridges, a forward that played at West Virginia. I think he's going to step into that wing, two-way, defensive, offensive role. I think he's going to be really good there. Western Kentucky, I talked about on last episode. Christian Lander, former five-star that played at Indiana. He is coming to Bowling Green, as is Dante Allen, who had some really bright moments for the University of Kentucky. Last little kind of mid-major team. They're not really mid-major, but Wyoming. I think I've talked about them at various points throughout, but in one weekend, signed three players from the Pac-12, Ethan Anderson and Max Agbampolo, both from USC, uh, uh, Jake Kaiman, who played at UCLA this past season, and Wyoming's going to be good. Remember, Wyoming made the NCAA tournament last year. They lost in the play-in round to Indiana. They bring back their top two players, Graham E.K. and Hunter Maldonado, add three transfers from the Pac-12 those are basically the teams that I, I, I do think are probably worthy of some acknowledgement. You know, really quick, a couple others. Uh, Alabama, two really good guards out of the portal. Dominic Welch actually committed late last week. Uh, Mark Sears from Ohio. What's interesting about that is that Mark Sears played at Ohio. Remember, Matt, uh, excuse me, Matt McMahon. Uh, Nate Oates, the head coach at Alabama, came from the MAC. Uh, Ohio is in the MAC. I don't think that he coached against Mark Sears necessarily, but kind of talked to some people who kind of let me know, hey, they know what it takes to succeed in that conference. They believe this is a kid that can come to the SEC and have success. Dominic Welch, another one of those St. Bonaventure guys that I think did a good job, uh, you know, kind of finding the, the right spot for him. Listen, St. Bonaventure, I don't want to be super cliche about all this, um, but I, I do think that when I look at St. Bonaventure guys, you know, really just, just a, a school that produces like good players, smart players, they kind of get it. Uh, all that good stuff. Uh, those are the teams, I think. Uh, Iowa State, by the way, added two guys from St. Bonaventure who were really good, Jaden Attaway and also Osun Osunye, a big seven-foot center. So those are the teams. Listen, I, I could go on and on, but I've talked long enough. The big winners, in my opinion, Arkansas, UConn, Providence, uh, LSU, Florida with my boy Todd Golden, young Sheldon Boy Wonder, Miami with John Ruiz and all his NIL money. A lot of good teams that I think have done a good job throughout this spring in the transfer portal. All right, that was a long opening segment. But that's what AT does. So this is what I want to do. I do want to take a quick break, and I do want to come back, and I do want to do America's Favorite segment, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. We'll hit on a bunch of different stuff. This is a really, uh, I think it'll be a fun segment for you guys. We'll go through a lot of different things that I've talked about through the years. We'll hit on some NFL. We'll hit on some college football, some college basketball. Really fun. Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong coming up. I will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. Final segment of the week. So good to be back. Uh, before we get to Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong, a little bit of a serious topic that I, I, I kind of want to hit on that happened on Thursday. Pretty serious topic in what was a serious week in this country. Obviously, earlier this week, there was a situation in Texas. I did not talk about it on Wednesday's show, I, uh, basically for two reasons. I think, one, you guys and girls come here to kind of get away from the serious stuff. I can be serious, but I try to be entertaining. And so I didn't really touch on it, but also I didn't touch on it just because it's such a serious topic that there's nothing to say and thoughts and prayers aren't enough and we all know that. And so I kind of stayed away, but obviously I want to acknowledge everything that happened in Texas over the last few days. Also want to acknowledge a little bit of a sad you know, passing on Thursday that sort of has a relation to the sports world, uh, Ray Liotta. And I think you all understand I'm not comparing Ray Liotta, obviously, to the situation in Texas. But for anybody who loves sports, and I think all of you guys and girls do if you're listening to this show, you've probably seen Field of Dreams. And so Ray Liotta, of course, was Shoeless Joe Jackson, the Shoeless Joe Jackson and Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams is one of my favorite sports movies, if not one of my favorite movies of all time. I've seen it a hundred times. And if you're of a certain age or if you've just watched Field of Dreams, this one hit uh, different on on Thursday. So obviously the situation in Texas, uh, there's nothing to say, but also I wanted to acknowledge that Ray Liotta, an incredible actor, but also uh, one of the iconic sports movies of all time, passed away at 67. Uh, But with that said, Let's wrap with a little bit of fun, right? Life is too short. Life is too serious. Let's have some fun, and let's play where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. And I play it every week, and you guys know the drill by now, but essentially we do this at the end of every Friday show, kind of just a fun little way for me to kind of slap myself on the wrist, acknowledge all the stuff I get wrong. Essentially, I stole this from my buddy Colin Cowherd, and basically over the course of a week, I say a lot of stuff on social media, on this podcast, on radio, And I get a lot of stuff right. And when I get stuff right, nobody likes to praise themselves more than your boy Torres. So this is a fun way for me to acknowledge when I get stuff dead wrong too, which happens all the time. And so let's get into it where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Where Aaron was right. Well, Golden State Warriors are going back to the NBA Finals. And what I would say is a couple things. One, don't talk a ton of NBA on this show, but this just felt like a good time to kind of just mention Golden State beats Dallas in Game 5 on Wednesday night, or or Thursday night, excuse me. They are going back to the NBA Finals. And where Aaron was right is pretty straightforward. I mean, one, going into the playoffs, the Golden State was obviously getting healthy. Golden State had a good regular season for the first time in the last couple years. And I kind of said, why is everyone saying Phoenix is the favorite in the West? Golden State has been to, what, five NBA Finals? In, in, you know, this core has been to five NBA Finals. Phoenix, I thought, got kind of lucky with a lot of things last year. But then, two, it goes to what something that I said, I think, on last episode or something, where I give Golden State a ton of credit. When all these, these injuries happened the last few years, Klay Thompson got hurt, Kevin Durant got hurt and then left, Steph Curry got hurt and missed a su- substantial amount of time, 
I give the Warriors so much credit because rather than rushing the process, rather than doing what the Lakers do, and I know it because I live here in L.A., Lakers trading a bunch of draft picks and a bunch of this and a bunch of that for old washed-up superstars that aren't superstars anymore, Golden State Warriors did the exact opposite. They stayed patient. They actually bottomed out while their older players were getting healthy, and they got some good young pieces. Jordan Poole is really good. Great first round, late first round pick. The Andrew Wiggins trade, they actually got a draft pick back that turned into Jonathan Kaminga. Moses Moody was drafted last year. So what I'll tell you is this. I was right on Golden State being, I thought, at least a favorite in the West coming into the playoffs. But then two, Keep an eye over these next couple years. I don't think there is going to be a drop-off. I think even as Steph and Clay and all these guys get older, to me, they're going to consistently stay at the top of the West. Maybe, I'm not saying they're going to win it every year, but I think they're going to stay at the top. Where Aaron was wrong. Well, on the other side of the bracket, Celtics Heat. Celtics are up three games to two, uh, You know, kind of as I record here going into Friday. Just one problem. After game one of this series, I said that I thought that Miami was the best team left in these playoffs. Whoop! Shame on me. Slap me on the wrist. I was dead wrong. Now, in my defense, I did not know that Jimmy Butler was going to go down in game three. I did not know that Tyler Hero was going to go down. I did not know that Kyle Lowry, even though he was banged up all playoffs, that he wouldn't be anything other than a shell of himself. But I also can't really use excuses when the Celtics didn't have Marcus Smart in game one. They didn't have Al Horford in game one. Robert Williams has been kind of in and out. And the bottom line is the Celtics have been the better team throughout most of this series. Game one, they were in control early. Bad third quarter, end up losing that game. Game three, they fall down early, rally, can't hold on to win. So even in the games they've lost, they've kind of been the better team on the court. Uh, I really think if the, if both teams had been healthy, I would have been curious. And I, I think I could still make the argument that Miami could have won in seven with a home court advantage. But Celtics up three to two. I think it's going to get really ugly really quick for Miami. And I think I was dead wrong on them being the best team left in these playoffs. Where Aaron was right. So not sure if you followed this story, but earlier this week, John Gruden, remember our old buddy John Gruden appeared in court in regards to his lawsuit with the NFL. And if you remember this story, I talked about it when it happened in real time. If you remember, his emails got leaked and I said, "Eh, this is kind of suspicious. If you go back to September and October, we talked about this when it happened, okay? The NFL was investigating the then Washington Redskins, now Washington Commanders. They were the Washington football team in between. And they had access to over 600,000 emails from some of the most important people in the NFL. And yet, despite all of that, there was only about four or five that got leaked, and they were all John Gruden's, and they led to his firing. And what I said at the time was, guys and girls, we have to separate the emotion of what he said from the fact that that there is something that seems very weird here that they have all these emails. His were the only ones that got leaked. We didn't even see what he was responding to, who he was talking to, what was said on the other side. Oh, by the way, they were leaked to two different outlets over two different periods of time to make sure that he got fired. And I told you, keep an eye on this. There's something that's not right. Well, fast forward here a couple months. John Gruden goes to court. And the court says that he is allowed to proceed with his lawsuit. I'm telling you, I'm not a legal expert. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not claiming I have all the answers. But something's not up, and it would not surprise me in the least if he either wins this lawsuit or he settles for a lot of money. Where Aaron was wrong. 
So not sure if you saw the other story that came from the Raiders on th- on Wednesday. Kind of interesting timing that the same day that they have all this bad PR with John Gruden, they announced that they're going to give Colin Kaepernick a workout. Maybe it was totally coincidental. Doesn't feel coincidental to me. But independent of that, I was wrong because I never thought that Colin Kaepernick was going to get another shot in the NFL. Now, what I would say about that is I still think it's weird to me that there are some people in the media that are immediately like jumping to the conclusion that he's going to just like go to the Raiders and be awesome. Guy's 34 years old. He's about to be 35. Has not played since 2016. That Super Bowl run with Jim Harbaugh was in 2012. Think about how long ago this was. Jim Harbaugh is going into year eight at Michigan. Jim Harbaugh has been away from San Francisco forever, and so has Colin Kaepernick. And so this isn't to wish him ill will or hope that he doesn't. Like, I hope he gets his shot, and I hope he does well like I would wish anybody else for that. But at the same time, I saw like Mike Florio, and I'm kind of quoting loosely here, but Mike Florio said something to the effect of, he'd be the best quarterback on the Panthers, and he'd be the best quarterback on the, the Falcons. And I'm like, guy hasn't played in six years. Excited to see what, what's next for Colin Kaepernick. Not sold that he is going to be a difference maker, even make the team. But it is cool that he got a shot. I never thought that he would. Where Aaron was right. This is what I need you to do. I need you to put on, you know, we need to step into the DeLorean and go back in time all the way back to a magical place called Wednesday. Like literally two days ago. Why two days ago? Because on Wednesday's show, I talked about DJ Wagner, the number one high school player in the class of 2023 in basketball, and how Louisville had hired his grandfather, Milt Wagner. And I said, listen, nothing's official yet, but this feels to me like it is the unofficial end of DJ Wagner's recruitment and that he is going to go to Louisville. So why is it where Aaron was right? Well, by technicality, I'm not really right yet. But on Wednesday, Travis Branham, the same guy that broke the story about Milt Wagner, also put in a crystal ball prediction for a kid named Rob Dillingham to Kentucky. What does that have to do with this story? Well, Rob Dillingham plays the same position as DJ Wagner. Kentucky was recruiting both. There was a belief that while the two players like each other, they did not think they could play together in college. So it's interesting that all the intel that all the recruiting insiders have is that this kid is ready to commit just a day after DJ Wagner's grandfather gets hired at Louisville. And it leads me to believe that, again, while the DJ Wagner recruitment is not officially done, it feels pretty much officially done. Look, at the end of the day, all I'll say is this, is that Louisville hiring Milt Wagner. Can, can we just all look like, like I, I said some people like, well, he's an alum. Why wouldn't they hire him? He's friends with Kenny Payne. It's like, I get that he's friends with Kenny Payne. He also left Louisville 36 years ago. It felt like if he was itching to be the director of, of, of alumni operations or whatever, he could have gotten that job before the summer that is where his grandson is going to be the number one high school player in America. So listen, I think it'll be good for Louisville. I think it'll be good for the Kentucky-Louisville rivalry. Obviously, I understand the frustration of Kentucky fans, but when Kentucky gets crystal ball predictions for a player who plays the same position, it leads me to believe that DJ Wagner is not going to Kentucky. Where Aaron was wrong. Again, let's hop in the DeLorean and let's go back to a magical place all the way back to Monday's episode. Where in another recruiting story, I talked about the recruitment of Arch Manning the grandson of Archie Manning, the nephew of Peyton and Eli, and the son of Cooper Manning. And on Monday's show, I said, look, Arch has announced three visits for June. He's going to Georgia, he's going to Texas, he's going to Alabama. And I said, look, I don't know what Arch is going to do. 
I don't even know if Arch knows what Arch is going to do. But if it was me, I would go to Alabama for all of the obvious reasons. Nick Saban for all of, I thought, the public bad stuff that he said is the greatest coach in the history of college football. They win national championships. Uh, Every quarterback they have turns into a future pro. Their last three quarterbacks that are no longer on campus, Jalen Hurts, Tua, and Mac Jones are all NFL starters. Bryce Young just won a Heisman. To me, it's kind of a no-brainer. If you're going to go to college, just go to Alabama. So why was I wrong? Well, it's because on Wednesday, in addition to all the DJ Wagner stuff, Alabama took a quarterback commitment from the class of 2023, Eli Holstein. So maybe this means nothing, and maybe they'll continue to recruit Arch, and I think they will continue to recruit Arch. The buzz is that Arch is still going to take his visit to Alabama, but I don't think Alabama would be putting out committable offers, and I don't think Alabama would take a commitment from a quarterback in the class of 2023, one, if they didn't think he was probably about as good as Arch Manning, or two, if they realistically expected to get him. And it's interesting, you know, I I have no insight into the Arch Manning element of this, but I was thinking about it from this perspective. Nick Saban comes from the Bill Belichick coaching tree. Bill Belichick comes from the Bill Parcells coaching tree. And Bill Parcells once had a famous line where he said, you don't want a celebrity quarterback. In other words, and this was in the 80s when it was different, but you don't want your quarterback to be the biggest star on the team. You need a quarterback that kind of does all the little things and blah, 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 and whatever. And I was wondering... Is Nick Saban maybe sitting back and saying, I don't know if I want the circus that's going to come with Arch. Doesn't mean he's a bad kid, doesn't mean his family's a bad kid, but the second he steps on campus, he is going to be the second most famous person probably in the state of Alabama. You know, maybe number three behind Brian Harson or Bruce Pearl or somebody, but he's going to be one of the most famous people in the state. Uh, even if you have an established quarterback, he's going to be the most famous backup in America. And I do think there's going to be an inherent pressure to play him, especially if your starter is not doing very well. And so I have no idea if that's true, but I did find it very interesting that Nick Saban decides to take another quarterback in Arch Manning's class, does not feel like this kid will go to Alabama. I'll also say this. When I did the segment, I got some feedback from Alabama fans. They did not seem all that upset that Arch Manning was probably not going to go to their school. Where Aaron was right. So earlier this week, uh, Jawan Howard was linked to the Los Angeles Lakers coaching job. I didn't talk about it. Maybe I talked about it in the mailbag. I can't remember. But he was linked to the Lakers job, and he said that he was not interested. Here's the bottom line. I'm going to tell you this, people, for the next two years. I want you to open up your ears and listen. I'm not saying you guys don't listen, but the public needs to listen to me on this. Jawan Howard. First of all, Juwan Howard is linked to NBA jobs because he has ties to the Miami Heat because he was a longtime assistant coach. But every single offseason, Juwan Howard is going to be linked to head coaching jobs in the NBA because of his NBA ties, because he's a former NBA player. And for at least the next three years, Juwan Howard is not going to the NBA. Juwan Howard, one is at his alma mater, two loves being there. He cried at his opening press conference. He cried when they won the Big Ten Championship in Chrysler Arena two years ago during COVID. But here's what we also forget. He's got two sons that play in the program right now. His older son is going into his junior year, and his younger son, Jet, is going to be a freshman at Michigan. If you know anything about Juwan Howard, he is all about family. He's always posting with his kids and with his wife and on vacation and around the house on Instagram, and that's a great thing. That's, like, that's an incredible thing. I'm, I'm glad that they're a very tight-knit unit, but because they're a tight-knit unit, Juwan Howard is not leaving Michigan 
while his kids are still in school. Does that not mean that he can't someday become an NBA head coach? Of course he could become an NBA head coach one day, and I would suspect it. I don't think that anybody in 2022, with the way college sports are, is built to be a college head coach for 30 or 40 years, like Coach K, like Roy Williams, like John Calipari is right now, like Tom Izzo is right now. So I don't think Juwan Howard is going to be at Michigan until he's 80. But he's not leaving while his kids are in school. The family is tight. They spend a bunch of time together. They vacation together. He's not leaving while his kids are at Michigan. Finally, where Aaron was wrong, uh, I just hit on this one a minute ago, but I was just dead wrong on my boy Matt McMahon, LSU head coach, former Murray State head coach. We talked about him in the winners of the transfer portal, but I kind of, I don't know if criticized is the right word, but when all 13 of his players left the program from Will Wade, I said, I don't know if he did things right. Is there a way that he could have retained an assistant coach to keep some of these guys in place? Could he have retained some of the behind-the-scenes people who had close relationships with the players that were on last year's roster? I said at the time, I don't know if this was the right decision. It kind of feels like one of those deals where maybe he should have kept some people around because that incentivizes the players on last year's roster to stay. Instead, he comes in, he cleans house, entirely new staff, and I wondered, is he going to be able to put together a competitive roster for 2022-2023? Well, I just talked about it last segment, and the answer is yes. They obviously have the three guys returning, Justice Williams, Mawani Wilkinson, and also Adam Miller, who's going to be really good. They have the Murray State guys. K.J. Williams can play in the SEC. They got some other transfers. They added a couple high school guys that I didn't even talk about. They got a team that I think is a fringe NCAA tournament team next year. And to his credit, I like the blend of young and old, the guys that he brought from Murray State to kind of reestablish the culture that he created there. So where Aaron was wrong, I had some questions about Matt McMahon. I was dead wrong. While we're here, I think I might have been wrong on Todd Golden too. I didn't think the analytics nerd from Florida could could have success at uh, at Flor- uh, from San Francisco at Florida. Well, guess what? Young Sheldon boy genius coming through with all the major recruits. With that said, I think it's time for me to get out of here for today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. If I'm not, if you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. First of all, before I get into the closing ceremonies, remember a couple things. One, no new episodes until at least Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. Two things we'll be monitoring next week. One, SEC uh, coaches meetings, Jimbo versus Saban. They're in the same room. What happens there? And then also that NBA draft deadline. So we'll probably do a show Wednesday and we'll probably do a show Friday. I will keep you posted as necessary, but probably two shows next week. With that said, though, I am going to get out of here. Before I do, remind you, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torn Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. I'll be back next week. I'm thinking maybe Monday, maybe not Monday, maybe Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. I'll be back next week. New episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. In all seriousness, everybody enjoy Memorial Day weekend. Hopefully you get to spend time with friends and family. Go to the pool. Go to your Memorial Day cookout. Tell everybody about the Torres Pod. We'll talk next week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.